Mm-hmm. Super clean. Mm-hmm. Swords. Super, super polite. Mm-hmm. And they kill each other with swords. Yes. <laughs> right? What else could no you back, want, dude? No backstabbing. Just. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church, where every week, Pastor Matt Brown is bringing real answers to your tough questions from the Bible. Today, we're going to debrief your sermon here in just a bit. We got, a, we got a bunch of good stuff on the show today. We're going to debrief your sermon on forgiveness from this weekend. Yeah, that was thick. We got some follow-up questions uh, from the last couple episodes, and then we are going to be talking all about sex, because you preached on that two weekends ago, and people have been... Firing Sending away their fingers. All the questions. A lot, a lot of questions. So we grouped them all together and we got them fired up. I'm your uh, friendly pal, Justin Party. I'm your friend, Stephanie Keen. I am the PMB. Pastor Matt Brown. Okay, so before we get into the show, this uh, this week you're prepping for Easter weekend. Yes, super excited. So let me just give uh, a shout out, man. I've been inviting a lot of my friends uh, at LA Fitness that don't have a church. Uh, I love talking to people about the gospel. We're going to be preaching on how Jesus Christ's resurrection uh, calls us to make a decision. So come this weekend. Don't miss. I know there's going to be crowds. Bring some friends. Don't flake on this weekend. There's nothing more important in the world than celebrating Easter. I was talking with my mom on the phone last night and she made this comment. She said, you know, this is grandma's first Easter in heaven with Jesus. Hmm. And it just, it teared me up, man, because, you know, this is, this is what we live for. And my grandma died and she got to experience uh, Easter in heaven with Jesus and with her love of her life, Lawrence Estes. Uh, And they're in, they're in heaven together celebrating the resurrected son. And uh, not worshiping him by faith, but by sight. And mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. So bring a friend this weekend, man. Uh, bring friends that don't know Jesus and don't go to another church. I mean, this is not the opportunity to invite your friends from Harvest or your friends from the Grove. Whatever. Those they have great places of worship and those are great churches, man. And we want them to reach lost people. So let's find people that don't know Jesus that, that aren't going to, to church and let's bring them. Uh, man, there's a lot of heartache. Uh, a lot of hurt, a lot of you know questioning. You know what's happening. Um, we had that shooting. I was actually stuck underneath some of the helicopters up in Orange Crest yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the shooter lived in Orange Crest, yeah. so um, I was at Chipotle and they were circling. I was like, "What's going on?" Uh, but they shut down that whole area yesterday. So our hearts go out to you know those family members that uh, lost um, their, their son kid. Yeah, the, their yeah. son. You know. Um, and again, why deal with anger? Because there's residual effects. He didn't just shoot his wife. He shot a kid, mm. you know, and um, which just really adds to that sorrow and heartache and, you know, you know, anyways. So, wow. You know, there's just a lot going on and people need Jesus, man. They mm-hmm. need answers. And, and, and the gospel provides answers of why is there evil in the world and what is God doing about it? There's so much bad news in the world today. There's so much fake news. We need some good news. So bring them this weekend. Uh, we have the opening of our Marino Valley campus. I'm super yep, excited. Yep. I'm actually going to go check it out uh, and post some photos if they'll let me of uh, what I can show. But it, I'm super excited for their first service ever on Easter. I stopped by Marino Valley campus last Tuesday. Um, just c- during the day, I was driving down to, I don't know, buy something off Craigslist. And I was like, ooh, I bet they're there. Dude, it's been amazing to see. There are people, mm-hmm. volunteers working there around the clock 
working yeah, on we're stuff. super grateful for those people pastor mm-hmm. jeff white the campus pastor there, and his wife denise they had clearly just been working like manual mm-hmm. labor all day mm-hmm. long getting ready for them it was so cool it was so cool i can't wait for that to be yeah open. we have our east valley campus uh out in mentone uh east redlands area if you live out that way mm-hmm. we have a campus in woodcrest up by the orangecrest area uh we have our hunter park campus right here next to ucr mm-hmm. we have our montclair campus montclair pop-up is mm-hmm. i'm gonna super be excited three. yeah pop-up so what, what is a pop-up it's it's a microsite so you know there's not live worship there but there's live people there who mm-hmm. gather together and uh, are looking for fellowship and friendship and so our hope is that these pop-up sites would become campuses eventually mm-hmm. um and so it's an easy way for us to find out if there is a need in that community that we can minister to and totally. it's a it's an inexpensive way for us to see if something works so that's why we're doing those if you didn't know what a pop-up site was it's a micro site so um it's just a great way for us to kind of feel and see if it works. So bring a friend, bring yourself to Easter. Don't go to the river. Don't go to the ocean. Don't go to brunch. Go to church, mm-hmm. man, because that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died on the cross, not just to save your soul, but to build a family. And his family's called the church, ecclesia, the gathered ones, the gathered people. That's what the church is. It's not a building. It's the gathering of believers. And so a lot of people think Easter is about family and they're really close. It's about God's family, mm-hmm. and that's what it's about. So make sure you come. Okay, we're going to get into the questions, but I, I got to say this. Uh, I know a lot of you guys have been starting to listen to the show or watch the show, and you're not a part of Sandals. Somebody has maybe linked you to the show or or whatever. Listen, if that, that whole pop-up site thing, if you love this vision, the idea of being real, and you want to be a part of that and help us launch a pop-up site in your area, man, we would love to talk to you about mm-hmm. that. We will see if we can support that. Um, I think we're saying at, at least they got to be about 25 minutes away from one of our campuses for yeah. it to be really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. But maybe some of you guys listen out of state, all those kinds of things. We would love to figure out how to make that happen. Uh, if you want to, just send me an email, I guess, prd at sandalsearch.com, and I'll get your info pointed in the right direction because that'd be a really cool way to to partner with you. So Yeah, specifically if you're a part of a dying church. Oh, yeah, that's You amazing. know, um, man, we'd love to partner with you. Let's use that facility for the glory of God and honor the people who sacrificed to build it because those are the best locations because we don't have to go through any hurdles. Mm-hmm. The city already sees it as a religious institution. It's easy for us to come and paint, put new carpet, and set up something. So, uh, you know, and bring that to your church leadership. That's how we start opened our Moreno Valley campus, our East Valley campus. Those are the easiest way to do that. And uh, people who care more about God than their own wants and and needs and desires. And it's amazing. I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, Renewal Church, I think they were running in the low 70s. You know, Mm -hmm. we we could have a thousand people this weekend. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with East Valley. They were down in the low, excuse me, uh, Amethyst Bible. They were down in the low 30s and we got it up over five, six hundred in a month. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is a this is a great tool that God is using to build His church when in many places it's dying. So uh, let us know. Contact us here at channelschurch.com. I got to say two other two other cool Whoa, really stories. You got him fired no, up. listen, the Maria Val, the what's happening at Moval has just been so cool. There's somebody, uh, one of the guys who's been a member of Renewal Christian Fellowship that's becoming Channel Church Marina Valley. Man, he owns an electrical company, I think, and mm-hmm. his he has donated like something over like thirteen thousand dollars in material wow. and labor costs and other things. That's I know cool. your fiance was out there with mm-hmm. his dad. They did all the wood yeah, flooring. Yeah, they donated and stuff. all the flooring for it. So cool. So, oh, yeah. Isn't that awesome? Good job, Tyler. Cool. Tyler's dad. Yeah. What does Tyler's dad do? Uh, well, he worked for a flooring company, so he has a bunch of stuff that was on hand. So he said, I want to donate that to the campus and do Pretty a little cool, labor huh? to put it into. Wow. So, yeah. It's super cool. It's it's, it's going awesome. All right, I we got to debrief, we gotta debrief some things. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so just just so you know, you, you know, one of the perspective names was uh, Marchfield. Marchfield. Mm-hmm. So Sandals MF. 
Oh, <laughs> whose idea was that, dude? Listen, that's like a creative listen, fail. We don't think about those things. We don't. Okay, have that's why or... I'm here to to put us in a little thing called reality. Stephanie has a pure heart, really, and I just get I just like cool names. Hunter Park, East Valley, March Field. There's a natural flow to those things. Mm-hmm. Sandals MF, dude. What? My God, we've already got a reputation. Thank God we have holy people here who would never think about that. I, I'm grateful yeah. for you guys, but we're led by a sinner. Two other things we got to tell you before we get into the show. First of all is... Uh, I want to invite you to join our team. So starting next month here on The Debrief and in our sermon series at Sandal Church, we're going through the book of Romans. And so if you are at all a Bible nerd, you are probably freaking out right now because you know that that's one of the most challenging, controversial parts of the Bible. Um, And we want as many people as possible listening to The Debrief as we're talking through that here at Sandals Church. So I am working on building a team of Debrief geniuses, is what we're calling them, to be at every single one of our Sandals Church locations, ready to help people subscribe to The Debrief and find out how to listen to it. So we're going to have a little job listed up on our website. Go to move.sc slash debrief team. You can sign up right there. We'll get you plugged into the campus. We'll get you all trained up. We'll get you a sweet debrief shirt maybe. Basically, we just need you to stick around after service and help people learn how to subscribe. If you've ever helped your mom fix something on her phone, we want you on our team. Ah, boom. Yes, Yes, there you go. I like that little biblical bribery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, See, exactly. Whatever it takes, dude. Okay, one other thing. Um, later on this year, we're going to do, or later this summer, we're going to do a series of best of the debrief shows. Mm-hmm. Best of the debrief, because we got a bunch of new listeners, and I know not all of you have heard every single episode, and we're okay with that, and we want to help you out there. So if you are a longtime uh, listener of the show, and one of the answers uh, or questions that Pastor Matt has addressed has really helped you out, we would actually love to share that with you, uh, or share that answer. So let us know, send us a message, Facebook, whatever it is, and uh, Stephanie will We'll compile all those and the, everybody's favorite right. questions we'll put together a couple best of the debrief mm-hmm. episodes that's right and then next week is Easter we're yeah. going to be taking the week off so yeah. be, we're going to skip a Tuesday because mm-hmm. this week and ne- this weekend is going to be crazy yeah so. mm-hmm. I'm excited about that you, you if we did a show next Tuesday you might have answers but they probably would not be real answers and right. they might not be good mm. yeah you'd be dead yes so, okay, let's do this. Should we debrief a sermon? Let's debrief the sermon, dude. All right, Pastor Matt, this weekend, you talked about this at the end of your sermon, and I thought it was so fantastic. Uh, there's this guy in Joseph at the end of the book, a guy in Genesis named Joseph at the end of the book. And if you look at all of the chapters in the book of Genesis, so much of it is dedicated to this guy named Joseph. And I think most of us think Genesis, oh, creation, all that initial stuff. But so much of the book of Genesis is all about Joseph. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about why that is such a big deal? Yeah. So Joseph's life, uh, his life is like our life, you know, Um, it it presents this struggle between God loves me, but my life sucks. How how, how do I, how do I flesh those two things out? And And the purpose is, is that God is doing something special in the life of Joseph so that he can save his people. This is what God is doing in your life, in my life, in all of our lives. God is working and moving in spite of our suffering, um, allowing our suffering so that he can save as many people as possible. And so Joseph, like I said in the message, uh, covers 13 books of the book of Genesis, which is 50 books. So if you just look at it statistically, right, it's like 26% Mm. of the book of Genesis, the content is about the life of Joseph. So if you put that in perspective, the first almost 12 chapters, Abraham is mentioned at the end of chapter 11. So um, really the story of Abraham starts in chapter uh, 12. The first 12 chapters of or, or 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, I mean, covers creation all the, I mean, thousands yeah, of years. lots of people. And then the last 13 chapters cover like 100 years. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty amazing. Um, and Joseph is teaching us how important forgiveness is. So Genesis 
answers the question, how did life get so screwed up? And it ends with, how is God going to fix it? And it's called forgiveness and grace. And that's how God's going to forgive everything. So we see the problem and the solution in the first book. The Bible has 66 books. In the first book of the Bible, we see this answered. Grace is the answer to so much of our relational heartache and hurt and the problems and the things that we face and the things that we go through. And Joseph Joseph is really a picture of Jesus is one of the things I love that you drew out for us. So Jesus sits at the right hand of God um, and forgives us. Joseph sits at the right hand of Pharaoh who considered himself God Mm -hmm. in the ancient world and acted like God and was worshiped like God. But Joseph says, who am I to sit in the seat of God? He understands he's not God. And for those of us who struggle with forgiveness, Really, what you're doing is you're, you're taking up a seat where you don't belong. You need mm. you need to get off that seat because it's for Jesus, and Jesus is the one who ultimately judges. And that's what my definition of forgiveness is: releasing judgment to God and saying, "God, I'm going to trust you with this. I want you to heal me of my anger, my bitterness, my need for this to be righted in my mind and in my lifetime." Because here's the thing: is revenge doesn't make you feel any better. Mm. It doesn't. Mm. It actually makes you feel worse because. James says, human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't. It's going to make you feel worse. So you're going to carry the scar of the injury, and now you're going to carry the scar of your sin for, you know, reaching out in vengeance. You said that thing about revenge, and I was like, mm, like I, but I, I'm just doing a little quick mental inventory. I don't feel like I've ever gotten revenge on anyone. Yeah. Mm, good yeah. for you, dude. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Probably right. <laughs> All right. So one of the uh, follow-up questions we got from your sermon this weekend about forgiveness uh, comes from Anonymous. Um, and they ask, what does it look like to forgive someone who hurt me and isn't even remotely remorseful or sorry? Right. So just remember that um, reconciliation is a type of forgiveness that occurs when two parties want to work it out. So Jesus demands that we be reconciled to a person, even if they sin over and over and over and over against us and come to us seeking forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. So, we must forgive that person. We don't have a choice as Christians. If they're genuinely sorry, um, you know, and that needs to be, you know, not just determined by you and your emotions, but by a community group who says, hey, dude, I feel like they're sorry. You need to forgive them. And just, that's called reconciliation. It's the beginning of the working out of forgiveness in the context of relationship. And so um, that's what we need to do. The forgiveness I'm talking about is simply the releasing of anger and judgment. It's God taking that burden away from you. And so many of us are just burdened, not just with the injury that occurred, but the sin that has now occurred because we refuse to forgive. And we hold on and we hang on to that. And ultimately what it does is it doesn't injure the person who injured us, it injures our own soul. Mm -hmm. And so we need to get rid of that and we need to remove that and um, so, so that's what we do is, you know, we don't have to be in relationship with them and, and you need to establish boundaries. Some people are toxic. Some people are unhealthy. There's a lot of unhealthy people, you know, at Sandals Church. I mean, they're unhealthy and I've, I've known them for years and I don't hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, whatever. Same story over and over and over again, you know, and I just, you know, I love them as their pastor and, uh, you know, we have a professional relationship, but we don't have a private or personal relationship. We just don't because they're not safe. They're toxic people. They ruin and destroy everything that they touch because they don't want to get well. Um, and, and toxic people usually think the problem is everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's not them. They're an eternal victim. They, they never take any responsibility for what they've done. And those kind of, you can't, you can't help people who don't want help, which is why Jesus says to the person at the well, what do you want? Because he'd been sitting there a long time mm-hmm. and he's got all these excuses. Why well, can't change? Jesus is like, dude, what do you want? 
do, do you want to be well? And he's like, well, nobody's here to help me. He's like, bro, bro, what do you want? Because <laughs> Jesus is direct and he loves him and he wants to heal us, but we have to want that as well. So I think I answered your question is that, you know, f- reconciliation is something that happens when two parties um, give forgiveness. Well, I was preaching on this weekend because I don't know that Joseph's brothers were sincere. I think they were covering their butts. Mm-hmm. Because if had they been sincere, they would have worked this out years before. Mm-hmm. Right. But they panicked about it when their dad died. So, so clearly reconciliation hadn't happened. First, they send messengers. They don't come themselves, right? They're afraid mm-hmm. because there's still a rift there. Um, and they're worried that Joseph, the most powerful man in Egypt other than Pharaoh, was going to kill him. And he could. He could have. <laughs> There's, you know, Pharaoh would have applauded him. Do whatever you want to your family. Hang them by their ankles. You know, send them out in the desert without water. Do whatever you want. Feed them to alligators. Shoot, they're creative. Um, But he didn't do that. So I know that it's a difficult thing, um, but we have to give forgiveness to people when they seek it. If they don't seek it and they don't want it, we have to forgive them in our hearts. And so the person that wounded me and hurt me, um, I think maybe they thought they sought forgiveness, but it just didn't work out. The relationship was ruined and destroyed. And so I had to forgive them in my heart. I actually had to pray the prayer again today on the way to work. Your Voltron prayer? My Voltron prayer, because that worked its way back up. And I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. I got to practice what I preach. And I asked to forgive them. So guys, I know this is hard. I know it's difficult, but you'll be a much better person when you don't try to pretend that you're God. Life is going to be a lot easier. So just forgive people. And again, it doesn't mean that what they did was right. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up uh, you know, for, for things that are moral or this or that, it is sitting in the seat of judgment. Judging people, wanting to wound them emotionally, personally, physically for what they've done to you. It's retribution. That That's what we're talking. Release that to God. Give it to God. Forgive them. And just say, God, I'm going to entrust this person to you. Um, and that's why the prayer of blessing, I think, is so important because what you ultimately want is them to come to true repentance and be right mm-hmm. with God um, so that they won't hurt anyone else. They won't hurt themselves. And they don't have to go to hell. Um, because no matter what somebody's done to you, hell is forever. What happened to you is temporary. Mm-hmm. So, By the way, if you have no idea what we're talking about when we say Voltron prayer, that's part of Pastor Matt's sermon. And if you missed it, you really got to check it out. Mm-hmm. You can just probably type in, go to YouTube and search Sandals Church Release Party, or you can also find it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll link to the sermon in the show notes. We'll link to the Sermon on Forgiveness and Pastor Matt's sermon on sexual temptation. In yeah, the show I was notes so sad, week. man. I ran into somebody at the gym, and, and, and they really struggle with forgiveness. They've had a lot of injuries, a lot of wounds, a lot of heartache. And she came up to me. She's like, I missed the sermon this week. I'm like, why? Mm. Why? Mm. Like... You know, so many of you guys, you, you make these casual decisions to not attend church on a weekly basis, and it's foolish and stupid. That that moment, I said the word stupid again, that, that moment that you're like, oh yeah, we, we've got something else that's coming up. Here's what I guarantee is probably happening. God's going to deal something with your in your heart. And so the enemy is moving and working to get something else to be the priority. Absolutely. And, and you missed out on the movement of God this week. I mean, you got to pray with people who came forward, right? Mm-hmm. How yeah. was that? It was incredible. I mean, it was a really emotional moment. Yeah. I mean, there was people, literally, God was, let me just, God was doing a work this weekend. Yep. And some of you chose something else besides the work of God. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, dude, what were you doing? Mm-hmm. It was a special weekend. And, and the Holy Spirit was there in a powerful way. And so, you know, if you haven't listened to the message, listen to the message uh, quickly. I think we're going to publish the 10 o'clock one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but something special happened in every service this weekend. And so many of us have been hurt so deeply and so, so incredibly uh, gone through such difficult things that we needed to release that this weekend. And we had an opportunity to do that. And 
It was powerful. Speaking of the 10 o'clock service, um, right after that, I was talking with your oldest daughter, Madison, and she was saying that she really felt challenged by your sermon. And as you were preaching, she didn't really have somebody that came to mind that she needed to forgive so much as she was thinking about people through her past relationships that maybe she has hurt. Um, I think probably a lot of people maybe had a similar experience as they listened to the message. As Christians, do we need to pursue forgiveness? In yeah, that abs- absolutely. You know, um, I've only been to one high school reunion. It was my tenure high school reunion, and and I, and I call it the forgiveness tour <laughs> because all I did was go back and just apologize. You know, I um, as Sandals Church has grown, and uh, you know, people that I grew up with have become more and more aware of you know kind of my my role in the community, and yeah. and I'm certainly not famous, but I'm well known. Mm-hmm. I realized I got to get ahead of this and I, I, I've got to go back because I don't want them to judge God based upon my stupidity as a teenager and a selfish college student. And so I just, man, sought forgiveness. Uh, even even in situations where maybe I was only 30% responsible, I, I, I just owned my part and I, and I went to some people and I, I all my friendships in high school com- com- completely blew up. And that's what happens when your friendships are based on sex, drugs, and alcohol. There's really nothing there. And it just completely destroyed all my friendships. And I just went back to those guys that, uh, you know, I loved very much and just said, look, man, I'm really, really sorry for, for my part in what I did. And, you know, here's who I am and this is what I'm pursuing. And they were all cool with it, you know? Um, and, and I'm grateful for that. And, um, you know, some, some people from my high school and college have reached out on Facebook and said, Hey man, I think what you're doing is cool. And I'm really proud of that. And I don't know that it would have been received as well had I not pursued forgiveness. And so I just went back to him. And so I would just say this, we offend people all the time. Like mm-hmm. I offend people all the time. I got a big mouth. I'm opinionated, <laughs> you know, and I offend people. And if there's any, if there's any way possible, I can apologize. I just do. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've just learned, I just do. As Christians, we should be great at apologizing. If you can't apologize, you struggle with the sin of pride. I blow it all the time. I'm say, hey, I'm sorry for that, man. I apologize. It, it's a normal, regular part of my life. Because um, I, you know, I don't want to offend people. The gospel is offensive enough, right? It says you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. It says God hates your sin. They don't need to be offended by my mouth or my choice of words, or you know. So I just apologize. So yeah, I think is, is it fair for us to try and pursue someone else's forgiveness, or do we really just leave it with ourselves, right? To just I think apologize. It yeah, I think it depends. I think you need to go to God in prayer. You need to go to your community group. And you need to share, make sure you're not gossiping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're there to share your story, not someone else's story. You're there to share your sin, not someone else's sin. And just so you know, that's when something becomes gossip. When you're telling someone else's story, mm-hmm. you're gossiping about them. When you're telling your story, try to make it as much about you as possible. Because ultimately, what we need to pray for in a community group is you mm-hmm. and, and your heart and what's going on in your life. So, um, you know, um, that's that's just the reality. So. So I would pray about it. I would work through that. Um, is it safe? I think I mentioned on a previous episode that when Facebook first came out, I needed to apologize yeah. to a previous girlfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we had had an inappropriate relationship according to my faith. And I wanted to say, hey, I don't want to be the reason you're not in heaven. Mm-hmm. I didn't say it that way. Yeah. But, you know, with my wife's permission, I showed her the entire note, sent it, haven't had any contact since then. So um, I think that's important because I don't want to be um, something, uh, you know, a barrier that keeps somebody from coming to Christ. So, yeah, I'm, I just was thinking about a time where I actually did something really similar and apologized to a girlfriend, a girl that I had dated and, um, had sinned against. And I, I apologized, but she was not a believer. Right. You know, I'd gotten right with God. She was not a believer. 
and I, I think I entered into that with a little bit of unhealthy or maybe unfair expectations of mm-hmm. how she would respond to me. And that made the conversation mm-hmm. not as healing, I think, as it could have been for either both of us, where I should have just gone in and apologized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And instead, I kind of think I apologized and asked for forgiveness. And mm-hmm. like, I don't I don't know that it was necessarily fair for me to say, I need you to release me. So you now know? you must forgive me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not. Res- you're, you should have no motive whatsoever of what they do with your apology. Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that's not the Holy Spirit. You just need mm-hmm. to simply say, "I'm sorry," own your part, and just say, "I apologize." And that's why I don't think it always needs to be in person. You know, you can send an email, you can send a note, you can send an old-fashioned letter, and just say, "Hey, man, I'm really sorry for what I did. Uh, hope you're doing well. Blessings." Mm-hmm. And, and and that's you know that's enough because um, listen, unforgiven people probably aren't going to forgive. Mm-hmm. So why do we expect the world to practice what they what they don't even preach? They don't even understand. And so, yeah. um, you know, just just do your part and seek forgiveness and own your part and say I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You know, I'm I'm really, really sorry. And and whenever I can't own that, it's my pride. Yeah, it's my pride. Okay, so this next question uh, comes in from Matt because it came up in his community group. And he says, how do you know if you've truly forgiven someone when you continue to feel the hurt when seeing them or interacting with them? Yeah, I would just say Matt was his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this question came up in his Yeah, group. you're not there yet, Matt, which is okay. It's okay. And just know that when someone hurts you, it's a process. And let me be clear about that. You know, when you came forward this weekend, and, and I don't know if Matt did or not, or somebody in his group, somebody in his group did, that's the first step in the healing process. It may mm-hmm. take counseling. It may take, you know, years of healthy relationships. It's a process. You know, just today, I had to pray for Voltron on the way to church because it came up in my heart. Mm-hmm. And the moment I experienced that hurt and that pain, I went right back to my prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive help me to forgive them as you've forgiven me. Help me to bless them as you've blessed me. Like, poop, and then I moved on. Um, but this is like four years after the injury, four years. Mm-hmm. And um, I just got to do that. Um, because at the end of the day, I want them to get on with their life and be well and serve God in whatever capacity that is. Remember this person that wounded me was a Christian, mm-hmm. which makes it even more ugly, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I, I got to get over myself and, and move on. And so I would just say this is a process. And so here's how you work through this in community group. You don't revisit the injury. You don't keep going back and telling the story of what the person did wrong. What you share is, I'm really wrestling this week with heartache and hurt, and I'm struggling giving mm-hmm. this to Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Focus on your sin. And your sin is not the injury. You did not sin by being injured or hurt by this person. What you're sinning with is holding on to this. Mm-hmm. Release it to God. And, and remember, in the story, Joseph wept. He wept well, because it hurt. Mm-hmm. What his brothers did to him was awful. They beat him up, threw him in a pit, and sold him as a slave. You know, I mean, he was a teenager. And now here he is in his 40s. His brothers are probably in their 50s and 60s. And they're like, dude. You know, dad wants you to forgive us. Well, how about you just say, we blew it mm-hmm. and we deserve to die, which they did, you know? Um, so, uh, and there's a whole nother picture there, man, about Joseph that we didn't get into this weekend, right? So they sell Joseph into slavery. Jesus became a slave for us. And when we become believers, what do we become? His slaves. His slaves. What did the brothers do? We deserve to be your slaves. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's all, there's all this interplay there and similarity between our role, I mean, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we threw him there. Our sin put him there. We, mm-hmm. we put him in that pit. We sold him into slavery. That, that's my part. Mm-hmm. So he dies for me. He's righteous for me. He forgives me. Now, 
Now, how do I repay the one who died for me? I live for him. I am his servant, which is our next series coming up uh, before we get into Jesus in the real world. Mm -hmm. We're talking about who we are and um, we are servants. And anybody that doesn't get that doesn't get Jesus. Great question, Matt. Just know this is a process. Healing is a process. And um, we need to bring this up over and over again. And we need to divorce ourselves from this pray once it's over theology. That is unhealthy. That name it and claim it, shout it from the mountaintops. That stuff's stupid, man. Mm-hmm. You got to work through it. You've got to work through your wounds. You got to invite Jesus into your wounds. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. What's he talking about? You've been hurt. Come to me. He does. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say, and I'll fix it. Mm-hmm. He says, learn from me. Mm-hmm. Follow me. Walk with me. And I will teach you, this is the message translated, how to live freely and lightly. Mm-hmm. I will teach you, this is the message, the unforced rhythms of grace. What is Jesus saying? What is Matthew 11, 28 and 29 saying? It's saying, follow me for a lifetime. For a lifetime. And I will bring healing mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, come forward at an altar call. He doesn't say, say a prayer. He doesn't even say, get baptized in regards to healing. Now, all of those things are important, but healing comes from over a period of time, following and trusting Jesus and giving him your wounds. Mm -hmm. That's where healing comes from. And um, that's that's not easy, but that's the way of the cross, the way of Jesus. Jesus is not a microwave healer, you know? he wants to, to bring us into this. Now, he might heal a disease instantaneously, but hearts heal in a different way. Wounds heal in a different way. And so he has a different process for that. So, Pastor Matt, I, I have found that when I feel really stuck, like in a certain area, sometimes it's helpful for me to not just try and stop doing something like or to like let go of my unforgiveness or bitterness or whatever, but also try and pursue something that's really good. I wonder if it could be helpful for this person to, try like pursuing, really praying into God, help me trust you, help me trust you, that you are going to keep your promise, that you do see what's wrong. That's great because all unforgiveness is rooted in A, you sit in God's seat. So why do you sit in God's seat? B, you don't trust God. You don't trust Mm -hmm. him. That's that's the bottom line answer, uh, and and we're we're gonna we're gonna look at that this week. We're gonna cover the story of the raising of Lazarus, um, hmm. and that's that's my Easter message, and and that's what he man that's what he's asking Mary and Martha. Do you trust me? Mm-hmm. The answer is no, <laughs> no, yeah. no, um, because they don't they don't trust Jesus' decision making process. Why didn't you hurry? Why weren't you here sooner? If you if you'd gotten here, if you quit, would have been about your own agenda, Jesus. Right. My brother wouldn't be dead. And um, man, Jesus is the resurrection of the life. And, and if I believe that, right, my life is different. Mm-hmm. My life is different. And um, yeah. So, so Matt, I'll pray for you and your small group, and just for your process, and just know healing is a process. It's a lifetime process of God preparing us for eternity. And um, to be hurt is to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, to be holy like God is holy is to deal with your hurt. And so we have to step into that. Um, because how does God share in our experience? Jesus Christ is injured. <laughs> He's when, uh, hurt. He's wounded. When you tweet that, use hashtag the debrief, whoever's <laughs> tweeting that right now, because that was some that pretty was good. good stuff. What was good? Uh, to be hurt is to be human. To be holy is to... Deal with your hurt. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I was Thank you. She was tweeting. She was tweeting <laughs> it. Okay, so we are, we're going to shift gears a little bit and 
We're going to shift gears a little bit and do some follow-up mm. from a couple of the episodes recently. I'm going to use that for my book, a chapter of my book, that title. Shifting Gears? Shifting Gears. Mm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That was Can't good. <laughs> you just inspired me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, and I give that to you freely with an open heart. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. So the last couple of episodes, you've been talking a lot about just gender roles, men and women and how they work. And we've actually gotten a couple questions in just based on that whole concept of men don't really know how to be men. Our culture's really kind of tearing men down. Right. Now. That's something you've said, by the way. Yes. That's not yeah. Stephanie's rage, yeah, no. rage angst coming out right no. now. No, mm. it's not. Um, so Samantha sends in a question. She asks, you've mentioned a lot recently about how men don't know how to be men anymore. In my marriage, I have a lot of control over household responsibilities and decisions, so it doesn't seem like my husband is the leader at home, and it's putting some strain on our marriage, and it's affecting his confidence. What are some ways that I can make my husband feel like a man and like the leader in our life together? Right. So that's a great question. First shout, thing, out that, shout out to you for asking that last sentence. I loved it. By yeah. Me. So first thing I would do is not ask me, ask him. Because oh. every man is different. And so my answer might not be his answer, but I would literally just ask that question. You know, look, I, I have a lot of leadership responsibilities, you know, in uh, my home. I mean, this is the way I look at me and Tammy's role. My wife's the general and I'm the president, right? So she's she's on the ground with the troops. She's fighting the battles. You know, my wife's the bloodhound sniffing out the, the <laughs> sin in the children. And then I have to come in. Oh, she is, man. She, she is, she's half bloodhound, man. She can sniff it, boy. Woo. You're sinning right now. I know it. Um, so, uh, um, you know, she, she, she is on the ground a lot and she's, she's on the battlefield a lot. And, and my job is to support her. And, you know, we, we have great conversations and, um, we, we just had a conversation about a financial decision, um, that's up and coming. And so I carry probably 95% of the financial burden of our family. So, um, that's my role. That's, and then that's not every, I'm not saying every family needs to be right. that way. So the burden the burden of leadership for me is to make sure that my family is provided for both now and into the future. And so we had a decision about our future. And my wife asked this question. Um, it was in regards to an asset. She said, do I have any say in the selling of that asset? And um, I said, hmm, we, we got to work through that. Um, so I said, yeah. I said, you have 49.9% decision in that, you know, on that. And I have 50.1%, which means... We're gonna, and the reason is, is because at the end of the day, it's my job to provide. It's my job to ensure that that happens. And I think it's my giftedness. I think I think long term better that way. I think I think more in a financial term. And so I'm gonna lead in that way. However, as the leader, there are areas where my wife thinks better. She's more strategic. She has a better mind. Mm-hmm. She's closer to reality on some issues. And so I need to listen to her and submit to that. And so I think that the way you build that is you look for opportunities as husbands and wives to submit to one another. And so um, a man's job is not to lord it over his wife and to constantly be barking out orders because that's not a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, Tammy and I, uh, we believe in singular headship. I think we talked about this with Mark Driscoll, but plural leadership. And so somebody has to make the decision. Any couples that say everything's 50-50, well, what do you do when you don't agree? Well, it's a disaster. So somebody has to make the final decision. And so um, a couple of times in our lifetime, I've made the final decision. I mean, like three or four times in 20 years of marriage, I've said, overruled, we're doing this. And it's because I feel like God was telling me that we needed to not go with how my wife felt on a particular issue. And um, and it was ugly, but I think she would say that it was the right decision. I'm pretty sure she would say it was mm-hmm. the right decision. And that's my job uh, to lead in that way. The challenge is what happens when you have a woman who's a naturally better leader than the man she married. And that happens mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, 
it's a lot of work for the woman to submit and find areas where she can submit to because what's going to happen is the husband's going to be intimidated um, by the wife, her leadership and those things. And so I just think you go to him and say, where are some ways that I can validate your leadership? I can validate your headship of our home. And what does that practically look like? Um, because I value you as our leader. I love you as my husband and I want to honor you. And so what does that look like? And then if the husband, if he's not totally clueless, we'll follow that up with, well, how can I honor you as you know, the mother of my children and, and my wife and my bride and my partner in this relationship? How, how can I do that for you? And that's a great conversation um, you know, to go back and forth on and just enter into these honest, real conversations where it says, how do I honor you and lift you up as a wife? How do I honor and lift you up as a husband? And um, you know, I think the great question for every Christian woman nowadays is to say, how do I not emasculate my man? Because we live in a culture that emasculates men, mm-hmm. which, and on the same token, like we're frustrated because there's no leaders anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, th- you're welcome. You know, that's what you've earned. We, we need young boys. So um, I think that's real important is ask him, what could I do to affirm your leadership? And, uh, you know, cause I'm married. I'm, I call my wife firecracker. I mean, she's bam, super <laughs> strong and powerful. But the reality is she wants me to be strong. She didn't want to marry a wuss. She didn't, she doesn't want to dominate me, even though sometimes her behavior acts like that because she's strong. Mm-hmm. And so I have to lovingly push back and, um, you know, say, Hey, we're not doing that or I'm not doing that. And, and so she, you know, we have to learn how to, to give and take. And so I have to honor her. And so a big way with her is words, you know, you're beautiful, you're amazing. Like I just, I was one of those guys when we first got married that, well, I said it once, mm-hmm. you know, why do you need me to say it again? Well, cause she needs me to say it again and I love her. So I say it, uh, you look beautiful. You look amazing. Uh, wow. I really loved how you did that. Um, you know, I didn't buy my wife flowers. I buy my wife flowers all the time, all the time. You know, I, I, I call them ho-hum now. I don't call them flowers because I buy my wife flowers so often. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and that's not to put, not all guys can afford to do that. And I don't buy $100 flowers. They're, yeah. they're like 15 bucks at Ralph's. Yeah. But she loves them. And I, I know what she likes and I pick those out. So look, I buy look, the two ninety nine flowers at Trader Joe's. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Right? It matters. Yeah, it means, it it means while I was out, I was thinking of you. Yeah, totally. And, and I want my wife to know that. And so, because um, I am thinking about her and I do care about her. So ask your husband. One of the things that I've I've learned in our my relationship with Lindy, I'm a little bit better with the finances or whatever. I mean, that's just that's how it is, and we have lots of friends who it's the exact opposite way. But one of the things that I have, I think, sinned against her in this area is that just assuming that I'm better at it, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kind of do it off on my own over here. Yeah. One of the key things that we've done this year is like sync up like once a month. I'll be like even though she's not like the biggest fan or whatever, I'll be like, here's the spreadsheets. Okay. Here's where we're at this month. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if we have a big decision like that, just say, this is what I'm thinking. Does that make sense to you? Just trying to involve her in those. And if there is a case where like maybe Samantha is more naturally gifted in that area, you know, and her husband's like a, some does some is better in other areas than even just touching base and saying, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, I'm the chief leader here at Sandals church. I delegate, leadership responsibilities to strong leaders. Right. I mean, being the leader doesn't mean you make every decision what it well, means. Well, and you pull people into yeah. the decisions you're making. You don't yeah. make them off on your yeah. own, ever. So, you know, so I think that's important. And again, it's recognizing the unique gifts and talents of your spouses. And um, I think in most homes, women run the finances. I, that's, I, I don't I haven't done any research. I think that's in most. My home is like yours. Um, uh, I run the finances. Finances are something that's very scary for my wife. She grew up in a home where... 
you know, they got in a lot of financial trouble uh, when she was a kid. And there was a lot of angst as a child mm-hmm. uh, about losing the home, losing the business, you know, things happening. And so for her, that's a real painful experience. And so, you know, when you have unexpected bills or things that come up, that that does something in her that it doesn't do mm-hmm. in me. So, um, so, so I rewrote we'll in with a similar, kind of a follow-up question here as well. She says, I have three sons. Do you have any suggestions on how to raise godly men in our culture? Yeah, absolutely. So when I deal with my son, Ethan, I remind him that when I'm disciplining him, I am doing so, A, because I want him to be like God, and B, because I want to prepare him to lead a family. I use that language, to lead a family. In the same way with my daughters, I use the language of date a guy you can follow. Date a guy you can follow. So if you can't follow him, if you can't trust him, what are you doing? So so I encourage my daughters, and my daughters are strong women like their mom, so it's going to be challenging, right, to find a guy that they can follow. Um, um, so with my son, I, I talk to him about being responsible. So a lot of boys are lazy. They don't get their work done. They don't turn and think, well, how's that going to work? And this is what I, I literally have this conversation. How's that going to work when you're the father, when you're the income earner? How's that going to work? And I, and I ask him these things, you know, because maybe he doesn't do his homework. So what if dad doesn't do his work? What if, what if I behave like you do at school at, at, jo- at Sandals? What's going to happen? I'm going to get fired. Then what's going to happen to you? Mm-hmm. If your dad, the leader of your family, behaves like you do, how's that going to affect you? I said, you need to think about that now because you're practicing what kind of man you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And I asked my son, um, who do you want to be like when you get older? And he'll say me. Uh, I don't know if he thinks that's what I want him to hear, but what really what I want him to be like Jesus, but hopefully I'm following Jesus. And so some of that's rubbing off, but I, my job is to be an example to him of what it means. So find strong men. If you're a single mom, find strong men. This is why community group is so important. Pick a community group with a strong man who can be an example for your boys to see. What does it look like? Especially if they have a non-existent father or an abusive father, you have no idea how damaging that is to a young man long-term. So they need healthy examples. Um, yeah, getting your getting your sons plugged into like um, our Sandals kids or yeah. Sandals youth, like they need to have other guys, especially if they're middle school or high school, they got to get plugged into Sandals youth. So there's other people, mm-hmm. like adults in their life, backing you up on saying, this is how God wants you to be, I think mm-hmm. is... Yeah, sit down and l- let them listen to the debrief and say, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? Because Pastor Matt thinks you're supposed to be a leader. Start telling boys that. God made you to be a leader. Are you being a leader? Are you stepping up? Or do you have character? Do you have integrity? Do you know? Are you responsible? And I think one of the things is we haven't challenged our boys. We're not challenging them to be leaders. We're not challenging them, you know, to rise up. Everything for the last forty years has been about women rise up, which that's great. I don't want women to be, you know, uh, like they were in the fifties. That's not what I'm, I'm advocating. I'm simply saying when you overemphasize one gender and you underemphasize the other, you have a discrepancy. Just like for most, you know, of human history, we underemphasize the female gender, which is a tragedy. They're, they're beautiful, wonderful, amazing, strong, powerful, incredible leaders. Um, they have great gifts to bring. But riding that ship doesn't mean that you dehumanize male gender, which mm-hmm. is what we've done. Mm-hmm. You don't need to attack maleness to lift up, you know, uh, Femininity. Femininity. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yeah, you found you. the word. So, see, right there. She <laughs> natural fit for. She her. saved me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just here to help. So you don't you don't have to tear down something else to lift up mm-hmm. something. And so I, I think that's one of the great um, unfortunate realities of our current society is you don't have to 
you don't have to tear down something to build something else. I was going to get into something else, but that's a rant. I want to do a quick book re- book recommendation, actually. This is a book that I read recently, well, about a year and a half, two years ago. It's called Raising a Modern Day Joseph, Joseph actually. It's by Larry Fowler, who he's a member here at Sandals Church. And um, it's really cool. The opening part of, like the opening chapter basically does what you did this weekend, gives the whole overview hmm. of Joseph's life. And he basically asks this question, if your son or dot as a teenager were totally ripped out of your influence, would they make the same decisions wow. that Joseph did, like running away? And then he basically kind of breaks down the character that you attributes and the Christ-likeness that you see lived out in Joseph's life and helps you think about ways to be strategic about building those elements into um, your son or daughter. It's really good. We can put it in the show notes. It's yeah. called Building Raising a Modern Day Joseph. Larry's awesome. He's a, a member here at Sandals Yeah, Church. no, I know him. He's a cool dude. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool book, and it's very appropriate because we just finished up looking at Joseph. Uh, really quick, I want to say one other thing to Samantha, because as you were talking, Pastor Matt, I remembered one one thing that Lindy said to me um, that just like really changed me and it really inspired me. And one of the things I think is just looking for little tiny ways to even encourage your husband where he does get it right, where he does step up in leadership. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget this one time Lindy um, thanked me for just my ambition because at that time we were leading college groups and young adults and stuff here together at Sandals Church. And she got exposed to a lot of the, you know, young adult guys who are in school or out of school and hadn't yet, like, were not super career path or, you know, pursuing leadership and provision and all those things. And she just kind of like said, noticed that that was something that I had done and I had taken seriously, literally like right when I got out of high school and through and said, hey, thank you for doing that. And I mm-hmm. think looking for the little things that mm-hmm. uh, that your husband gets right and encouraging him in that is um, is great. So, okay. Yeah. So remember the verse this weekend, you know, when you forgive a fault, love prospers, but when you don't, it divides even the closest of friends. And so try to find those areas mm-hmm. of giftedness in relationships. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about sex? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Whoa, awkward pause. Well, I was about to say, Stephanie, how many days did he get married? <laughs> 17. Yeah, see, there you go. Exactly. 17. Okay, this question comes from Annie Moss. I like, we, we're getting a lot of variations yeah. of the yeah. spelling Creative. on this one. Yeah. yeah. This one comes from Annie Moss. I love Annie. Uh, exactly. So you answered one of the questions two weeks ago. I love this guy. I love this guy. Whoever you are, man, I love your question. Uh, <laughs> you answered the, one of the questions two weeks ago saying that dating someone for years is too long, but how young is too young to get married? I want to wait until after I get a grown-up job that will support, but I also want to marry my girlfriend sooner rather than later so we can have sex. I'm totally in love with her, but how can I know if my intentions are pure? What is the wisest way to approach this? Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, I appreciate um, your question and your honesty. And, you know, um, most guys really do want to have sex with the woman that they they love. Um, That's just that's just a natural progression of things that are happening. The problem is our society is not built in any way, shape or form to uh, allow us to produce an income that allows us to get married at early age. You know, like our my grandparents, I'm 45 years old, my grandparents generation, you know, they got married at 18, 19 20 years old, and they were able to instantaneously get jobs and provide uh, some kind of income for their family members. And that's one of the challenges of the current economy. What I would say is, um, you know, you need to make sure that you're not just horny, that mm-hmm. you actually are holy in this. Because you said, how do I know that my intentions are pure? And just know that when sex drive is, is in it, it's probably not pure. So it's not all it's not all pure. Um, uh, you know, our desire for sex is, is one of the animalistic... Um, drives in our life, right? I mean, we have, we, have a, we have an animalistic drive for food, 
for shelter and for sex. I mean, it's just one of those things that's in us. So we have to make sure that what's guiding that is not the part of us that relates to animals, but it's the part of us that relates to the spirit world, to God. And so just don't be afraid to question your motives. You know, I, I we all need to do that. What, mm-hmm. what is my motive behind this? Um, and be honest with yourself about that. So I think it's okay to say, you know, I really, really want to have sex with this person. Okay, I hear that. But sex is not going to keep you together because if it did, people wouldn't get divorced, but they do. So sex is not the kind of glue that you need to keep you together. God is that glue. So focus on that. So what I would do is sit down, have honest conversations and really look at what is it going to take for us to get married? And maybe the dream needs to change. And so, so that's the reality is, is most people have these unrealistic dreams and the dream needs to change. You know, uh, my dream is for my wife and my kids. That's the dream. And everything else is secondary. And 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 if you can have that, man, you're going to be a very very happy person. My dream isn't to own a house on the beach, to you know drive the fancy. Those aren't my dreams. My dream is to love Tammy and to be with her. And um, when we first got married, we had nothing, and it was great. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't change anything. I, I I loved our time together, and I loved that we didn't have financial resources, and it was a struggle. Um, if you're my age and older, what you need to ask yourself is: you're in your 40s, your 50s. How can you help people do this? You know, mm-hmm. uh, Stephanie um, has worked for me for, I don't know. Four or five years. Four or five years. And, you know, she's been single and I knew she wanted to date, wanted to get married. And I, I walked with her through that process and wanted to punch many a men in the face <laughs> because I thought they were knuckleheads. But, you know, she found Tyler. And what I did is I came to Steph and I said, how can I help? Mm-hmm. How can how can I help? Well, you know, we have two girls in college. We have empty rooms. So I opened up my house and, you know, what can I do to financially contribute to you so that you can make this happen? Because I want to bless God's way. Yeah. So I didn't want Stephanie to have to, you know, um, not be able to get married because she couldn't afford it. And so I, I tried to help out in that process because I want to honor, I believe I'm honoring God by honoring that. And you only end up staying for like two months. Yeah, two yeah. months, not long. Yeah, we had some friends here at church who offered the same thing to Tyler so that we were able to both, like because of our relationships here in the church, people offered opportunities to us to move places where we could save up and not pay rent for a little while so that we could put that toward getting married. Yeah, and, and so. I, I think that's important. It takes a community nowadays to be able to do it God's way. And so you need people in your life that love you, that love God, that want to bless you and, and want to bless God. And so, you know, there are multiple ways that we're generous. And so a lot of people in our church have these big houses with nobody living in them. And... um you know, I mean, roommates are always an adjustment, but Stephanie was great. And and Steph, I don't know how many people we've had at the church stay with us over the years. I, it's got to be close to 20, Man, you know, um, people. And not all of them were great. So don't don't assume Stephanie was great, <laughs> but not all of them were great. We had some weird, awkward conversations. And, you know, when you have a young lady staying in your house and you're a man, that changes things. But when we've had young men stay in our house and that changes things for my wife. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of figure that out, but it's worth it at the end for me to be able to participate in Stephanie and Tyler honoring God. And yeah. I think that's a really, really great thing. And I am so pumped and so motivated by our young couples when they try to honor God with their sex life. And so we've had couples um, you know, that are living together and they're like, oh, wow, God doesn't want us to do this. And so they separate and they, they move in with other couples and then they, you know, they abstain from sex for a period of time and focus on God and getting their life right and walking through emotional healing. And God now... They have a relationship that God blesses. And that's what you have to ask yourself. What do you want? Do you want to have sex or do you want a relationship that God blesses? And for me, I want to have a relationship that God blesses more than I want to have sex. And it's not that I don't want to have sex. Right. Right. I mean, that's that's a, that's a drive in my life. But what I want more is I want to honor God in this way. And that's not to make anybody feel bad who's in a sexual relationship. Look, we live in a culture that thinks you're weird if you're not sleeping with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, 
weird. Well, it's too bad that you know culture doesn't think m- most of what we do as Christians is weird because it is. It's different. It's not like the rest of the world. We think differently. We live differently. We have different desires and aspirations. And if your non-Christian friends don't think you're a little weird, maybe you don't love Jesus. So, so just embrace that and understand that. And um, that's a great, great question. I would get in community group. I would get in counseling. I would submit to older, wiser leadership and help them walk you through that process. Um, Because, you know, um, sex, sex is not the only reason to get married. Mm -hmm. It just, that, that cannot be the glue. You're going to be in trouble. All right, this next question comes in from Anani Moss. We're getting very creative wow. with our anonymous questions here. Um, this person says, I attend and love my community group, but I'm embarrassed to tell them about my addiction to self-pleasure, and I'm afraid of the pain that comes with trying to get let go of the related habits. As a woman, where should I seek help with such struggles in a society that tends to portray, portray sexual addiction as a male issue rather than a female issue? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, over the years, um, I've had a couple women confess to me, you know, struggles with masturbation, which is what I'm assuming self-pleasure means. Right. Um, and it's always very, very difficult. I think it's I think it's hard enough for a guy to admit to it. For a girl, it's just oftentimes overwhelming. Um, you know, it, it's just different. Male sexuality and female sexuality is very, very different. So I'm always shocked at what a woman thinks a sexual masturbation addiction looks like. You know, I've had women, to, well, yeah, once a month. I'm like, that's not an addiction. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that might be a challenge, but that's not an addiction, you know. Um, whereas a, a young man might be struggling multiple times a day. So, right, uh, right that, okay, that's that's a problem, buddy. We need to talk. So here's what I would say is the first thing I would do is I would get in soul care and I would find a mature um older woman that you can talk with and talk through this with because you have a need for intimacy and you have desires um, and, and work through those issues. And, you know, is there an addiction there? Is there addiction to pornography? Um, I love what you said, Justin, that it's not watching porn. Uh, it's engaging with porn, which mm-hmm. means usually, you know, watching people have sex leads to same sex with self, which mm-hmm. is a challenge and a problem. And uh, here's just my take on masturbation in general is that what it creates, and so the world says, learn to pleasure yourself, right? Learn to pleasure yourself, explore your body, understand Mm -hmm. your body. Here's why I think masturbation is a problem because it teaches you to do two things. One, please yourself, which sexual intimacy, which was created by God, was not to please yourself, it's to please your partner. Your body is for the woman and the woman's is for you. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter six and seven says. So, it's not about me learning to pleasure myself because my wife is not going to be able to feel what I feel and know what I know. And, and then it's going to lead me to be frustrated with her because she doesn't know how to do that. And vice versa. If she's doing that for herself, I'm not going to be able to do right. it at the ability and the level that she is. And so it creates a disconnection. The second thing is masturbation creates you to go someplace you're not. This is why I'm so against porn. So many of you guys watch porn and then you can't have sex with a real person. Because you have trained yourself to watch sex, not to have sex. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what our culture is doing. We've become voyeuristic as a culture. We get off by watching, not by participating. Dude, in. you know John Mayer, the Your Body is a Wonderland musician? I'll never forget. I read, he was in a, I think it was GQ magazine where he was saying he's been in the, he's like a celebrity, right? He's been in the moment having sex with like famous women and thinking, I'd rather be watching porn right now. Yeah. He talked about his addiction. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. Yeah, that's so sad and so selfish, right? And so you're, you're, you're divorcing yourself from the purpose of sex. The purpose of sex is oneness, right? It's intimacy. It's two opposites coming together, male and female, and that's why it's important. It's two others coming together, two two, um, uh, divergent genders, right? Is that the right word? Different? Mm -hmm. Is that the word for, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, 
coming together in intimacy, in oneness, and there needs to be a lot of grace there. And, and that's why the beauty of, um, you know, if my prayer for most couples is that you won't know what you're doing when you start. And you'll both just be like, I don't know what we're doing. And you're going to figure it out together. And you're going to learn to enjoy sex together. And I can tell you, you know, my wife and I have been sexually intimate for over 20 years. And we're better at it now than we were because it takes time to get to know each other, to be comfortable with each other, to not be ashamed or weird. And for me to get all the porn and all of the the same sex with self-issue stuff out of the way, and, mm-hmm. and it, it messed me up. So here's what I said. So get into soul care. I would not share that with your community group yet. I would be very, very hesitant to share that with your community group unless you have like a great community group and great people, non-judgmental people. So just be really, really careful with who you share that with. I would share that with soul care first then maybe with your leader and a leader of the same sex who is not same sex attracted. So don't share this with a lesbian mm-hmm. because that could bond you together in an unhealthy way with you know some kind of sex kind emotional of yeah emotional connection. attachment in the background. So that's what I would encourage you to do. But at some point, I'm, I'm hopeful that women in our church will be able to just share, hey, this is what I struggle. One of the most helpful things we had years ago is we actually had a staff member um, at church get up on stage who was a woman who said, look, man, I struggle with porn. Mm-hmm. And people are like, whoa, but it really, really freed other women to be able to say, I struggle with this. 33% of porn users are women. Okay. So 67% are men, mm-hmm. but 33% are women. So it's it's a third. So just understand you're not alone. It is a struggle. It is a challenge. I don't think it's the same struggle and challenge as it is for men because men are so visually driven. Um, but but it is a challenge. You're not alone. We, we're here for you. We love you. God loves you. There's grace for you. Uh, God wants you to have intimacy, but he wants you to have intimacy with a spouse um, of the opposite sex in marriage. And ultimately, sex with self is going to create challenges for sex with this guy, this future husband. Um, I'm assuming she's not married. I would assume so too, based on the question. Yeah, because if you are married, you need to have a conversation with your husband about frequency, and that needs to be. And and just so you know, as a pastor, it's not always the guy that wants to do it more. Mm -hmm. So I I can't tell you how many times I've been in counseling where I'm telling the guy, you need to do it more, bro. You step it up. Step up your game. You know, get off Netflix and... And chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <that laughs> See what I did there. Yeah, so that was good. Yeah, I was gonna say I've been in a really healthy community group where one of the single girls, you know, confessed this, and I think it was really, it was a healthy community group, yeah. and I think it was powerful. For I just don't know her group. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Totally. Um, okay, so another question comes from Jacob. Yeah. So Jacob uh, sent in a question that I think is really interesting. He says, "My girlfriend's best friend is gay, and has struggled with the church's stance on homosexuality her whole life." She's gone years at a time being mad at God for not changing her, and she recently started dating a girl who tells her homosexuality homosexuality isn't specifically called wrong anywhere in the Bible, and she's convinced her that it's fine and that they're now pursuing God together. My girlfriend is really upset and doesn't know how to maintain the friendship without being supportive of her decision. I'm much more lenient. How do I support my girlfriend and find the balance? Yeah, so he's lenient on this issue. Yeah, but his, and girlfriend, his girlfriend wants to draw the line. Yeah. So uh, okay. So here, here's the line: if if a person is not a Christian, okay, and I don't mean like cultural Christian. Yeah, because what is a cultural Christian? What it means is I'm not Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. So that 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 a cultural Christian is someone who claims to be a Christian, simply meaning they're not something else, but it has no viable influence on their life. So. You know, I, I, that's just a, a weird thing that the New Testament would not have understood in right. any way, shape, or form. So uh, people who were Christians in the New Testament drew a line in the sand and were persecuted because of their faith. Right. So 
the, the Bible's not going to speak to these lukewarm, weird, wishy-washy kind of, it's just, it's, the, the, Paul doesn't have a category for that uh, or, or the other writers of the New Testament. So what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, I believe it's verse 11, and my eyes just went blank, but he says, where is it? Bible time with Pastor Matt. Yeah. Wow, nice Good song. I'm working I cannot it. see in here with these lights. Sorry, guys. Technical difficulties with the old eyes. Oh, he says, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. That means Christian. Okay. But is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. And so um, the text does not just mean with dudes. Um, you know, in, in the Greek... Um, just like we say mankind means mm-hmm. people, men and women. And I know some people get upset with that. We're changing that. But back then, it means people. Don't have anything to do with a person, man or woman, who claims to be a Christian but is sexually immoral. And so there's the line. So if they're not a Christian, if they're an atheist or they're Muslim or whatever, you need to have relationships with them. We got to share the gospel. We got to love them. We got to be here for them. But if they are a Christian and they claim that Jesus is okay with same-sex sex, it, that Christianity is okay with same-sex sex, you, you need to not have anything to do with them. And so here, here's what I want to be really clear on as a church. If you're gay, can you come to Sandals Church? Absolutely. I hope that you do. Mm-hmm. I hope that you do. This this Sandals Church is for gay people and straight people. Come to Sandals our, Church. Our next question is from a gay person who attends yeah, Sandals Church. It's great. Man, you're welcome to be here. Here's, here's where I draw the line. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos 3, 3. So if you are walking towards the same goal that I am, and I'm not a gay person, but I'm a straight person, and my goal is to achieve uh, the ideal uh, expression of sexual intimacy, which is between one man and one woman uh, for life. I I fail. I look at women with lust in my eyes. Jesus says, I'm guilty of adultery. Okay, so I'm a sinner just like you. Here's the difference. If I stand up in church and say that divorce is okay and adultery is okay, then I need to be kicked out of the church. Mm -hmm. Because now I am saying that scripture is wrong and I am right. So anybody that's telling you that the Bible says homosexuality is okay, I'm telling you they are lying. They are not telling the truth. There's about nine passages specifically in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible that speak to homosexual acts. What is that? What I mean by that? It doesn't speak to homosexuality. It Mm -hmm. speaks to the act of sex between two individuals that are of the same gender. And the Bible says that is forbidden for God fears. It speaks nothing to do with, you know, uh, it's not a sin to be gay. It's a sin to have gay sex. Mm -hmm. So like right now, I'm straight. Am I sinning right now in my straightness? No. Can I sin as a straight person? Absolutely. (laughs) And so one of the mistakes the church has made is is we've tried to change people of the desire or the... uh, the uh, arousal for the same sex. Yeah. And man, I think I think you get what you get. Uh, I'm, I'm going to come out with a book next year. I don't believe it's all biology. I believe that it's a mixture of biology, experience, uh, family of origin, uh, things that happen in your life. I believe that sexuality is influenced. Mm-hmm. It is. Now, is it? Uh, do I believe that it's just a choice? No, of course not. Of course not. There, there are biological factors. And so I think both sides are wrong. The gay community wants to say it's just biological. I think that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Because then they turn around and tell us that gender is completely socialized. I'm mm-hmm. like, what the heck, right? So being gay, you have absolutely no control over, but your gender is forced upon you by mm-hmm. culture. I'm like, oh, geez. Mm-hmm. So so I think what, you know, if the LBGTQ 
LGBTQ community was honest, what they would say is that sexuality is a fluid thing that is influenced by various factors. One of those factors that's large is biology. Yeah. Sure, I'll agree with that. But to say that there's no other influences is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, um, gosh, I just lost where am I going? So you would tell this guy probably to... If, if, the, the, person, if the person is saying the Bible says it's okay to have same uh, gender sex, then I can't have any, I, I can no longer pursue a relationship with that person. That person, according to 1 Corinthians 5.8, I need to have nothing to do with because they are twisting, they're intentionally twisting the scriptures based upon their own desires, which is always wrong, not just with homosexuality, in any issue, any issue where I twist the scripture, whether it's I'm going to be rich, so I twist the verses or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like the Mormons did, I'm going to, you know, Abraham had uh, multiple women and Jacob did, so I, and so they twist the scripture. Yeah, the Bible speaks about polygamy. It never speaks of it in a positive light, sure. ever. It's yeah. never a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bad, terrible thing. What God created was Adam and Eve. And so, you know, yeah, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young running around saying, you know, have 20 women. Well, how'd that work out? Well, read the Mormon journals. Bad. Really, really bad. Uh, you know, you want to screw up your family, have sex with multiple people and see how it works out. It doesn't work out good. There's jealousy, envy, insecurity. Oh my gosh. So don't do that. Um don't don't do it. And actually, the the the, uh, the Torah says that the first five books of the Bible says that a king is not to have many wives. I actually, mean think it believes I, I believe it means in the Hebrew multiple. Mm-hmm. So the king was supposed to have one. Mm-hmm. And David violated that. Solomon right. the violated. They all violated that. I mean, they screwed it up. Uh, Moses, I, I think, just had one wife, and Joseph did the same. But other than that, man, it gets crazy from that point forward. So um, just know that that's a bad example. So the scripture speaks of homosexual sex as a sin, as a sin. And if you are a Christian, and this is what's important, God is interested in your sexuality because he's interested in your safety and he does not want that for you. If you are gay, you have a very, very difficult choice to make, which by the way, same for the same sex or for the straight people. Mm-hmm. There was this... My sex drive was the most difficult thing for me to deal with as a young, super, if you have kids in the car, now's the time to press mute. Mm -hmm. As a young, super horny Mm 20-year-old guy who was engaging in sex and had plenty of women who were willing to participate in my sin, that was the cross for me. Pick up your cross and follow me. And I'm like, oh, geez. But you know what? I read the scripture and I know what it means. And nobody's twisted it. It's not an attack on homosexuals and all this other junk that you hear. Same sex sex was a normal, everyday, Gentile, Roman practice. It happened everywhere, okay? The reason the Olympics were so fun is because gay dudes like to go watch young men perform naked in the arena, right? And purchase those young athletes for their pleasure. Mm. It was a very normalized practice in the Roman Greek world. And if you don't believe me, go Google ancient pottery and you will see porn, pornographic images and, and, and just basically everything you see nowadays is just not in HD. You're going to see it on pottery. <laughs> that's what you're going to see because it was normal. And that's why the Bible says that people think it's strange that we do not participate in their drunkenness and their orgies. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't participate in that. Paul says some of you used to be homosexuals. You used to be people who had same sex. And by the way, it's not just for the homosexual, it's for the slave and the slave owner who become Christians. And slave owners, guess what they did, Justin, with their slaves? 
They had sex with him. I wasn't going to guess. I wasn't going to guess. That was a normal, everyday Gentile practice. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if if you were a slave owner and you you had a couple of young female or male slaves, and you didn't have sex with them, and and we were Greeks, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? you? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's wrong with you? And then and, and this is what's so sad, you know, we talk about Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and these amazing, go read their real stuff mm-hmm. as they talk about their lust for young boys, right? Nobody, they don't teach that in elementary school. Well, guess what? That's what they wrote. That's what it's about. That was the culture. That culture was more sexually crazed than we are. Now we're getting close, mm-hmm. but that's what they did. Mm-hmm. And the gospel was preached in that, col- that, that culture and A... Paul preached this, celibacy. Mm-hmm. Think about that. First and foremost, you're committed to God. So, if you can't do that, Paul says this. He says, I think it's better that you remain single as I am. If you can't do that, God has given you permission to engage in sex within the context of marriage, and that is not a sin. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking me my opinion, Paul says, I think it's better that you remain unmarried. So don't tell me... It's like Paul's version of the debrief. Yeah, don't tell me that the Bible doesn't speak to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 begins with, in regards to your questions about celibacy. I mean, mm-hmm. it, that's one of the first questions they dealt with. And um, so, so just know, man, th- these people, they're trying to twist verses and, and change verses. And when you have 2,000 years of history and it's been interpreted one way, and then all of a sudden our culture's view of homosexuality changes. And so therefore now we need to look at the scriptures again. Well, what changed, scripture or our culture? Mm-hmm. Our culture has changed. And again, if you're gay, I love you. God loves you. He has a different plan for your life, just like he had a different plan for my life. And I know what you're thinking. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes, I'm so glad I changed my sexual behavior and submitted it to my worship to God. It was difficult, but it was worth it. And I would encourage all of you to do this. Um, And this is the story of Joseph. He ran. Nobody was going to know, but he said, God will know. Mm -hmm. God will know. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to guess Potiphar's wife was hot. He's a powerful Egyptian dude. I'm going to guess he he married married well. Mm -hmm. You know? Let me ask you a related question. I got fired up. You did. Yeah, you didn't. Well, let's keep that going. Uh, he says, uh, as a gay man, I find it really difficult to run from sexual sin yeah. like Joseph did. That's because gay dudes are horny, bro. <laughs> How would you? Also, shout out to all the parents listening to this episode who had not already pushed mute before yeah. Pastor yeah. Matt did. It might be good to do that now. Eject, eject, <laughs> well, eject. I hope they did a long yeah. time ago because we're going hard at this episode. Um, <laughs> how would you advise those in the gay community who feel trapped or feel there's not a way to connect with God because we are not welcomed by most Christians? Also, how can a gay man date a woman without disclosure of what he's done? Okay, well, that's like a multi-layered conversation. So let's just take it in parts. This first thing was, as a gay man, it's difficult. How do you advise those yeah, in the gay community to run from sin when you and feel when trapped, I, when you yeah, feel trapped so, in the church too? Yeah, well, because it's just, I mean, dudes, dudes are horny. We just are. I, I don't know what it's like for lesbians. I, you know, we, we need to have a lesbian send in a question uh, and speak to that. But I just know this. If my wife was as sexually interested as I am, we would never get anything done. So I, I praise God for the differences sure. in drives. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife has a high drive for her family and getting things done and living life. My sex drive, and I don't, I don't think about my wife's, some, there's nothing wrong with her sex right, drive. Right, it's right. just not as just intense different. or as focused yeah. as mine is. So if you take two guys and they're both as sexually interested in each other, that's mm-hmm. that's something to watch out for. Who's going to pay the bills? Oh, dude, man. You know, um, 
you know, there's no lines there. You know, there's mm-hmm. no first base, second base. That's home run every time. So run away from that. So that's the first thing I would say is you need to surround yourself with straight friends who love you. And by the way, straight guys need gay friends because we need to understand that. And and a lot of what we need to repent of in the Christian community is homophobia. Yep. And I had it. I was afraid. I, you know, because in, in the 80s when I grew up, I didn't know anybody that was gay. I, you know, I, had no, I had no idea. The first I ever heard of homosexuality was this dude named Rock Hudson had AIDS and died. And apparently he was some super hot actor that my mom was in love with, but I'd never heard of him because he's an old dude by the time I heard about him. And he died of this disease called AIDS that at the time, um, and still to this day, affects predominantly uh, gay sex and drug users. It doesn't not affect others, but it's still predominantly that. And nobody says that anymore because our culture is not honest. Mm -hmm. So that's predominantly what it affected. And so I was scared because I didn't know what that was. Well, little did I know one of my best friends was gay. I didn't know that because we didn't have a relationship where we could talk about that. And so my first couple encounters were clumsy, were weird. It was awkward. Um, because sex is an awkward thing. I mean, it is. Let's be honest about it. And, and I don't, you know, know how to figure that out. And so over time, I met some gay friends. You know, I've, I've really, really come to love them and care for them and appreciate them and respect them. And just so you know, I have gay friends who live a gay lifestyle. I have gay friends who mm-hmm. have abandoned that lifestyle for what they see in the scriptures, which is what I see. I have gay friends who are married. Uh, so I have, I have all that. So the first thing I would say is you need to get in healthy relationships with guys who love Jesus enough to love you and embrace you as a gay man and um, be around dudes like you and I. Uh, he didn't say his name. It's his name, Annie no. Moss. Yeah. <laughs> so Annie, you need to hang out with me because guess what? I'm going to love you and not be attracted to you. I'm never going to make you stumble sexually because I'm, I'm going to care about you as a brother in Christ. So you need guys in your life that love you in that way. And oh, by the way, you know, hang out with gals. You know, uh, my wife loves gay guys. You guys are awesome. So it, that's a safe way, a safe place for you. But you need healthy relationships with guys. You do need that because that's what you're craving. That's what I believe is, is you're craving. Um, you're craving that at a deep level. And again, I, I believe that homosexuality is an exaggerated desire for um, to be seen as another man. It's just an exaggeration of that intensity and that longing for a loving relationship. And it's just gone a little too much. And so you need to figure out how to have that in a healthy way. Just like as a straight man, I have an, in, an intensely unhealthy desire for intimacy with women. I've had to learn to deal with that and curb that and force that to submit to my faith in Christ. Yeah. Okay, would, so what was the next point? Sorry. Hold on. I think he has an opportunity here too, because I've been in context where men have been or have been a little bit un- afraid to share this, like in their community group or whatever. I, I just want to say this too. I mean, you were saying the church, you feel trapped in the church or whatever. You also have an opportunity to help us grow. Yes, as we, we need as, you. We as need you gay guys share in the, the church. Truth. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that that's absolutely terrifying. But when you do that, you're gonna like Pastor Matt said. We need to repent of the sin of homophobia and all these other things. You're gonna help your when you become real with mm-hmm. others in the context of a safe community group. You're gonna help them grow and love you mm-hmm. in ways that you wouldn't fully understand now. So. Yeah, yeah. I've been on the other side. Okay, his other question was, how can a gay man date a woman without disclosure of what he's done? Uh, you have to disclose. That's unfair to the woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, date, dating needs to be the process of complete transparency. Do you have to do that right after, let's say he meets a girl in his community group and uh, or whatever, and they start dating right off the bat, like first well, date? Well, you dated a guy for a little bit that mm-hmm. struggled with same-sex attraction. Yeah. How? What did you... Uh, that was, a, like, we had been friends for a while, and so that was something I knew about him. Um, and he, like, talked to a lot of people beforehand, talked to some guys in his life, like, hey, like, I think I like her, I think I'd like to date her, like... 
am I ready to do this? And got counsel from other people. And so when he came and talked to me, like, hey, I like you, I want to date you. Like, hey, I know there's a huge elephant in the room. Like, I'm willing to talk to you about that. But I am attracted to you. Like, this is something I'd like to pursue. Mm. So he was open and honest. It helped that we had a friendship beforehand. So I knew that there was a context there. But I would say, like, knowing that he had gotten counsel from other people, like, hey, like, I think you're in a healthy place. I think you can pursue this. Um, And then... Yeah, was honest with me from the beginning and had a friendship beforehand. Most likely, if you know, if he's good, this, we're encouraging guys to, you know, have friends that are straight guys, have friends that are women. Like he may start developing friendships with women who are going to know that and accept him mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, but building a friendship yeah. first, I think, is helpful. Yeah. So, so just just know this: you don't have to date. You're not lesser of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have gay men in our church who are single and have a great life, and there's mm-hmm. there's no shame or nothing wrong with being single. Mm-hmm. Jesus was single. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. So. But if, if you desire companionship and if you desire sexual intimacy, even as a gay person, here's what God has outlined for you. Find a woman that you can adore and love and be sexually intimate with. Now, don't do this to her. If you can't give yourself fully to her, then don't marry her because that's not fair. She deserves to be fully loved in that way. And, and, and just so you know, the world says that sex is all about attraction. I think true sex and intimacy is about appreciation. Mm. It's about appreciating and loving one another in that context. And this is why the world can't figure out sex, right? Six new positions, seven new positions. This will drive her crazy. Every time I'm at the checkout stand, I'm just like, burn all of these magazines. Because if guys even try well, half I already drive stuff, my wife crazy. She's yeah. like, get out of my house. Yeah. yeah, so it's about appreciation and not attraction. And so, and again, I'm not saying I'm not attracted to my wife. I think my wife is beautiful, but I our love and our lovemaking has grown as my appreciation for her has grown. And so, um, you know, you got to make a choice. Am I going to trust the world's view of sex or God's view of mm-hmm. sex? And so... Um, and I would say, like, you know, be in, like, healthy and give it a chance. Like, for in our situation, it didn't work out. But, like, we were both really open and honest with each other and really kind to each other in the process. And I think that was a good step for him in healing and seeing that, like, no, this is something I can do. This didn't work out. But that's not completely off the table for me, you know? Yeah, I would say if you're, if you're a person struggling with same-sex attraction, the very worst thing you could do is not tell um, your community, mm-hmm. not tell you're the person that you're dating. Because at some point, that's going to really mess up your life. And listen to me, you know, trying to squelch sexual desire will put you in an unhealthy situation. And especially, you know, it, it, I'm just going to be real. I mean, promiscuity between two women is not nearly as deadly as promiscuity between two men. It just is. Anal sex comes with some really, really dangerous things. So if you're, you know, if you're a a guy who's struggling with same-sex attraction and you're not honest with yourself, you're not honest with um, your spouse and you find yourself in a precarious situation, and I've walked through this with guys who all of a sudden find themselves in a friendship where they're engaging in anal sex, well, guess what that means for your wife? Mm. She has to go get tested for a whole range of diseases that come with anal sex because the anus is not designed for that. I don't care what you know your podcast that you're listening to says, that. it's just not, it's just not. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dirty area, it, that's just what it is, and it creates some unique challenges for bacteria, disease, and infection. And I have cried with wives Mm -hmm. who have to go get these tests Mm -hmm. because their husband wasn't honest about his desires. And, um, you know, and I'm just going to tell you, the world wants to say, oh, you're gay, so that makes divorce okay. It doesn't make it hurt any less. Mm -hmm. You know, if my wife left me for another woman, it would not hurt any less. It would break my heart. And, oh, by the way, it would break her covenant that she made with me on the altar before God, and you don't get those back. 
you don't get those back. That's why when uh, Isaac blesses Jacob, he says, I cannot bless you because I already spoke on the name of God. And so there, there's a whole nother movement where, you know, people will go and take back their commitment. It's just that modern Christianity is so weird. It's so weird. So, so just know that, you know, be honest, be open. And, um, you know, I mean, as long as you can, and, and I have gay friends, man, and they'll, they'll tell me straight up, they're like, we have great sex life, you know, with his uh, wife of the opposite sex, you know? He's like, you know, he's like, if I didn't tell her, she wouldn't know. Because mm-hmm. he, he enjoys having it. His first choice uh, in, in terms of attraction would be a, a man, but his that choice submits to his choice for Jesus. And so he engages with sex with his wife and he says he loves it. Mm-hmm. You know, and every now and then, you know, he gets a little wobbly and has to bring that back. And his wife is an understanding wife and she's a great woman and, and she, she loves him. And, um, and on the same token, if you're a woman and you're gay, you need to disclose that up front because a lot of times what gay women do is then they won't have sex with their husband because they're not interested in them. And that's, man, you, you take low, a lower sexual desire, which is sometimes pretty normal for women. And then you take, you're attracted to the same sex and not your husband. That's a recipe for sexual disaster. So mm-hmm. be honest with yourself. Marriage is not for everybody. You don't have to be married. And, and some people don't have a sex drive. I mean, you know, um, some people really don't and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So don't get married, you know? Uh, and if you are married, you need to have sex. In a loving, caring way. Hey, so for people who need encouragement about coming out and sharing this stuff with your community group, we got a great story on our website, actually, of a guy who made the decision to share this with mm-hmm. his community group, who is actually now on staff at our church, an incredibly great guy. And he talks about the whole before and after process of saying, hey, I need to share that the, with my community group that this is something that is a, a struggle for me. Yeah, so. yeah and we'll and, link to that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, and let me just say this. For anybody who's going to listen to this and say, we're hateful, we're judgmental, we're something phobic, Listen, I would just challenge you to look at yourself. Is there room in your heart for us in our faith and our belief? Tolerance goes both ways. And, and we're not saying the world has to be like us, but you don't get to say what we have to be like. And you don't get to say what we want to believe here at Sandals Church. We have every right to practice our faith as we understand it, as gay individuals and as straight individuals. And um, just, just don't be afraid, uh, you know, if you're a podcast listener, is coming from the people who proclaim to be all about love. And that's just what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have every right at Sandals Church to live out our faith as we see fit and to follow Jesus as we understand Jesus. Um, and so that's who we are. And that's not hateful. We're trying We're trying to love God and love Jesus. So Okay, we're hitting our longest episode ever. I know. That's good. We, we're going to power through three last questions. Okay, yeah, just so you know, you sent me that podcast, that history. One of them was five hours. Oh, oh, oh hardcore history? With Dude, Dan I don't feel so I look. I was like, what did this guy give me? I love They're that. like five-hour episodes. It's like just stays up until like two o'clock in the morning listening yeah, to podcasts. So he doesn't even realize. I know, but I'm getting smarter. Can you guys tell? Oh. No, I can't. <laughs> All, right, All right, fair enough. Five okay. hours. Five that's hours, 11 minutes. That's why he told me, but I haven't even looked at the podcast. That's like, just, oh, no, too long. That's one episode, and each topic is usually like four or five yeah, episodes. One of my favorite podcasts, the Mike Rowan. They're eight minutes long. So great. Wow, yeah. Okay. All right, so... Okay, here we That's go. Sad. Vanessa and Anonymous both wrote in. You take this. Yeah. Your control. So they both wrote in asking really similar questions on whether or not having sex before marriage affects their marriages now. So the first one is from Vanessa, and she says, My husband and I are constantly arguing and have many times considered divorce. I have so much guilt about our premarital sex. Is this possibly my punishment for breaking my promise to God to remain pure? 
<sighs> I don't know. Um, man, that, that is such a complex question. You know, here, here's here, here's the problem with having sex before you get married if you're Christian. A lot of times what this does is it makes us feel guilty, and so we marry somebody we wouldn't have if we hadn't have been having sex. And this is why if you're single, you need to listen very carefully. Don't start having sex with each other because you can't think straight. And it creates an artificial bond. And then all of a sudden you're married to a person that you would have broken up with had you not been having sex with them because now you feel guilty. And so let me say this to all single people. Just because you're having sex doesn't mean you have to get married. Don't cover up one sin with another. Don't do that. So get some counseling, figure out, you may just need to go your separate ways and do that. So is it a punishment? I don't know that I'm comfortable with the word punishment. I'm more comfortable with the word natural consequence. I just was going to ask mm-hmm. that. Is, is it possible that something could be a result of sin and not God's punishment for yeah, sin? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I think that this is why God speaks against sexual sin, because there are consequences. But here's what I would say uh, to Annie, it's Annie Moss again. Her, her name's Vanessa. She Vanessa, this is what I would say to Vanessa to you is the first thing you got to do is forgive yourself. So I would say that's probably the greatest barrier to your sex life is you just feel so guilty. Listen, you're married. It's okay now. So ask God, get together, get on your knees, pray and ask God to forgive you of your sexual sin and then ask him to bless your sex life. Bless it. Say, God, bless our sex life. Heal our broken hearts. I had to have this conversation with some porn stars a couple years ago, right? I mean, you want to talk about a screwed up sex life, right? Mm-hmm. You had two porn stars that are like, we hate each other, we hate sex, you know, and, and we just literally, I walked them through, let's, let's confess this to God and let's ask for healing because they were screwed up. I mean, sex for them was a job, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, intimacy for them was like dishwashing. It was mm-hmm. gross. Like they, you know, but... So anyways, so you guys are not porn stars. I hope not. So, um, you know, so ask God for forgiveness for what you've done and then move on. Forgive yourself. You blew it. Okay, I messed up. I made mistakes. I blew it. I, I mean, that's part of the cross. We have to come to the cross and trust that Christ forgives us and we got to let it go and move on. I mean... You know, there's two types of people in this world, one with no rear view mirror and one people with only a rear view mirror. And it sounds like you got a big rear view mirror. You got you to gotta move on and focus on your relationship with your husband. Um, probably here's what happened. Here's the consequence. You guys had sex. There were some emotional and spiritual challenges that you weren't dealing with because you were sleeping together. Now you're married. And those two issues is why the issue of divorce keeps coming up because sex was blinding you. And now you have these real issues. Now, let me say this. I'm not advocating divorce. God hates divorce. Don't get divorced stay married and submit yourself to God. And I believe God can change your heart, change his heart and bless your marriage. He did it for my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we coulda, shoulda, and probably woulda got divorced had we not been Christians. But we were Christians, we made it work, we fell in love, God blessed us afterwards. So it can happen, I am living proof and evidence of that. What I would say is, give yourself forgiveness and, and really start working on your relationship and start working on emotional intimacy. Start working on spiritual intimacy and work on uh, physical intimacy. I mean, if you want to improve your marriage, have more sex. That makes most guys happy. It just it 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 makes the marriage better. So have more sex. Um, you know, I always get you know women whose husbands aren't Christians, and I go, you know, what what can I do to motivate my husband to come to church? Have sex with him every single week after church. He may not he might not be the smartest tool in the shed, but he's going to be like, hey, I see a pattern here. Half off, right? And <laughs> just so you know, love making is something that is been historically encouraged in Jewish life on the Sabbath. It is not work. It is sure pleasure. And if you're married, it is for the glory of God. So that's so what I tell my wife after I get done preaching. Let's worship. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> 
Okay, well, let's do right, the next go. question. Okay, yeah. okay. Oh, no, no, no. So, oh, no. Did I finish? I thought it was good. Yeah, I think that's good because I want to get into the yeah. next question. It's oh, from okay, yeah. um, an anonymous male wrote in and said, My wife and I agreed not to have sex before we got married, but we gave in to the temptation. We had a good sex life for about two years, but now we're struggling with sex because she doesn't feel like having it and I want to have it more often. Is one of us sinning or wrong? And does having sex before marriage affect our sex life in marriage? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think we covered part of that in the mm-hmm. last one. Yeah. So here's what I would say is, uh, so what is dating life? Dating life is face-to-face. It's all about intimacy. It's all about each other. What happens when you get married? You go from face-to-face to shoulder to shoulder. And this is why relationships don't work, because it is work. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, so and, and couples don't know what to do with that. I don't know why like we were not like we were when we were dating. We mean we were 18 and our parents supported us and we went out for ice cream in the movies, because that's not life. Adulthood is work. Having a family is work. That's a part of growing up. And that's why a lot of people never ever experience real love because they're constantly running from fantasy to fantasy and they don't know what to do when the relationship gets hard. They've been married two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the honeymoon's over. Now, now it's real life. And, and um, here's what I would say is most guys feel stress relief with sex. Do you feel relief from stress? I do, yes. Okay. Most women do not. Okay. When my wife is stressed, I'm going to bet sex is 29 or 30 on the list of things to do. Yeah, she wants if, me to come if in. If I'm the dishes, stressed, sex is going to be one, two, or three. Yeah. Right? Yes. I mean, right after prayer, because I'm a pastor. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, so so here's part of the problem is, and, and if you're listening, you know, to me as a wife, understand your husband. And, and it's why we need to understand and appreciate the difference in our genders. Sex comforts men. It does. So men don't use your wives you need to love them as Christ loved the church. So you've got to have those honest conversations. So you have you have stress in the marriage. One person is wanting to have more sex. Why? There's more stress. And stress is a relief. And this is why guys look at porn. A lot of guys are not interested at all in looking at porn. They're interested in relief. And so it's the same reason a guy will get drunk. Uh, someone will shoot heroin or smoke a joint. They're looking for yeah, relief. Yeah, trying to turn off the brain. Yeah, they're looking for relief. And endorphins are released uh, in the brain during orgasm uh, that are just like what drugs do, right? It's a euphoria. It's ah, uh, you know, it's awesome. So the guy wants to do that. So then the wife doesn't want to do that. So he's more uptight. He's more angry, which means she probably wants to have less sex. And it's just this vicious cycle. And so, you know, what I would say um, is try to have an honest conversation with each other. Get in some marriage counseling and work through these issues um, because sex, I think a healthy sex life is the result of a healthy marriage life. And so a lot of guys want to focus on, I'm not getting as much sex. Okay, well, where's where, what, what's your wife getting emotionally? What is your wife getting in terms of a, a physical partner, a husband, a dad? You know, you know, is she exhausted in, in all of that? And so make sure that as a couple, you're creating enough time for each other for intimacy. My wife and I, we do date nights. Man, it is so important. We connect. It's about each other. We're not going to be on our phones. We're not going to talk about work. We're going to talk about each other, and hopefully it's going to lead to some awesome sex, mm-hmm. right? But what, what creates awesome sex is connection, intimacy, spiritual sharing, and love. That's what creates sex. And that's why porn is so destructive because porn says, oh, I'm here to deliver your pizza. That's not awesome sex. I mean, it's, it's, it's made up. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's so stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, porn is like a bunch of 12-year-olds got together and made a movie about sex, except they're a 40-year-old, you know, dudes from Hollywood. And, and that's what they think it's supposed to be like. It's so dumb. Okay, and, so speaking of porn, this is our very last question. And a bunch of women wrote in and basically say, how do you respond to your boyfriend, fiance, husband, when they confess to you that they've been, I'm going to change it from looking at porn. Because looking at porn is not the only part. Yeah. Engaging with porn. Right. 
Yeah, with love and grace. Um, you know, so lead with that. Um, and, and let me just share this as a husband. My wife has far more challenges relationally than I do. So I have to have grace for her relationally. She's upset. There's friendships. There's sin. There's issues, right? There's 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 always some kind of emotional whatever issue. That's how women sin. I'm speaking, right, in stereotypes. Men sin with their eyes. And, and again, guys have stress. A lot of young men have been masturbating, you know, since they're sixth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade. So it becomes addictive. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a real challenge. And that's what I'd say if you're a single guy, you know, really, really try to deal with your masturbation issues because it's not training you for real intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just it's just not preparing. Um, you know, and a lot of guys think, well, we'll get married. Well, a woman is on her period once a month. Um, we don't engage in sex during that period. Uh, so that's a natural cycle for us as a couple. And then if you have a kid, you don't have sex for a couple weeks because that area is a little messed up, needs to heal. So that's part of the process. And so you just have to learn that there are natural rhythms in relationships that are built in. Um, so you need to prepare yourself for that. So what I would say is give grace. Why? Because you need grace, ladies. You need grace. It may not be with looking at porn. That may not be your issue, but your issue is Instagram. And you get all in an emotional wreck because you're staring at all these pictures and you're mad at everybody and you're upset at everybody. You need grace in that area. The, the challenge is women don't feel the need to confess that, like guys feel the need to confess this. Now, however, sexual sin does is different. It's a sin against your own body. So have grace for him. Uh, make sure that, uh, and, and why do you need to lead with grace? Because if you're too hard, what he'll do is he'll hide it. And that doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. it, unconfessed sin doesn't help anybody. So what you want to do is be as loving as possible and give as much grace as possible. And now having said that, you know, if, if it continues to be a problem, you need to bring in a spiritual leader um, and, you know, and then maybe the church and the, they need to get involved. And sometimes, you know, with addictions, just like if it's alcohol or it's um, drugs, this can be a lifetime battle. So if you're dating, you want to know that going in because it's devastating to a marriage uh, when a guy has trained himself to do that. And here's the problem with porn is it's available everywhere, mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, you know, um, I mean, I can't get it on my phone because I have a, I don't know what you call it, some kind of Content Apple. blocker. Yeah, but, you know, if, if I didn't, I could get it on my phone, I could get it on my computer. I mean, I could see it all over the place. And um, so they're going to have to learn to manage that. And so... Can, so, can I say something here? Because yeah. Lind, Lindy helped me with this. Yeah. I mean, I've been addicted to porn on, you know, six years old, seven years old, somewhere in there. And um, we've almost been married 10 years now. And Lindy helped me break the addiction. Mm. The first time um, I engaged with porn after we'd been married took me a few days to confess to her. Mm. I did. And it was really hard, but she showed love. And and then a couple of years later, it happened again. And the thing that happened that was different was this time I knew she was safe. Like mm. I knew she would forgive me ultimately. Mm. So I confessed that night right in the middle of my hurt. Mm. And there in that moment, she basically, she just said, get back in bed with me. And mm. she invited me right back in. And you know how before we were talking about trusting God, um, I felt like God can, I can trust God because if she can forgive me mm. um, from something I did 30 minutes ago, God can, God, God can forgive me. Like that is coming from God. And um, that moment of grace painted a picture of what God wanted to do in my life. And that right there, I think was the thing that helped me sit, believe God and that he would help me through that and change things. Not that I don't still have temptations or anything yeah. like that, but it, you're right. What you said, give grace. She helped me break. Yeah, it. and just know this, guys, that you know when you indulge your eyes, you know, looking at 
you know, breasts of different women, vaginas of different women, women of different races, different positions, all this stuff, you're not going to be able to be stimulated by your wife and her beauty. And so you're robbing yourself of the gift that God has given you. And that's why the Bible says, always be enchanted with the breasts of your wife. The Bible is awesome. That's what the Bible says. I mean, I'm quoting scripture. Always be enchanted with the breasts of your wife. And so, um, you know, they're, they're, they need to be special to you. Your wife's body needs to be special to you and, and, and her body as it changes, you know. Uh, I, I first started dating Tammy as a teenager. She had a different body as a teenager. Then she, we were in her 20s. Then we had babies. Bodies change. I need to be always completely in love with her and her body and appreciate her and her body. And the best way to ruin that is for me to look at sexual images of women who are being paid, by the way, to do this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and if they're not even, if they're not being paid, that's even weirder, but um, you know, it's not real. And so um, just being very, very excited to see my wife and to love my wife and to enjoy my wife. And, and the other thing that's helped me is I have daughters and I just want them so badly to be loved for yep. who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm grateful for my dad. My dad's been faithful to my mom and I actually have on both sides, which is rare, my grandparents remain married until one set died. My other grandparents will celebrate 71 years of marriage this year. Wow. Cool. And, um, you know, I mean, they, they have been faithful to the end. And so I have a heritage of healthy marriages, and, I, and I'm grateful for that. Tammy's parents were able to remain married. They struggled, but they remained married until Tammy's dad died when Tammy was 30. So I have, I have a, a good heritage that I'm following. Some of you guys don't have a heritage. I have a pastor friend of mine who said to me, Every single family member on either side of he and his wife for four generations back were divorced. Whoa. Ooh, wow. So back into the 19th century, mm-hmm. you go all the way back, big, yeah. divorce, 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 divorce. And his family struggled with alcoholism, addiction, and abuse. Mm-hmm. And he said Christ broke that. So don't don't think that you need a heritage. You have a new heritage in Jesus. He said Christ broke that. And my wife and I will be the first on either side in, I think he said, four to six generations as far as they can go back in their family tree, every marriage ended in divorce. And uh, he said, we're the first to make it because Christ is the great healer. So so trust him in that. So uh, was there a third part to the question? Nope, we're good. Yeah, yeah, so guys, again, you know, I know that this conversation was rough, but man, conversations about sex are rough. And to be honest, if some of you are offended, get over yourself. We, we need to have these talks. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm just trying to be real. Um and, and we need to be able to talk about this. All of us are the products of sex. I mean, I, I tell my kids that all the time. You, you guys were made. You were made by an orgasm. That's how you were created, right? And they're like, gross. And it's just so sad because it's, it's, not, it's not gross. Mm-hmm. It, it was given by God to produce life. Think about, you know, people say, how do you know, you know God is good? Well, sex is good. He gave us that, right? So, the creation of life is this beautiful, amazing thing. It's, it's this incredible experience of oneness between two people that we've twisted and perverted and made into something that's, that's awful and painful and mm-hmm. hurtful. But God gave it as a beautiful, wonderful gift. And um, we need to celebrate that and, um, you know, read the Song of, or read song of Solomon. Yeah, Song of Solomon. It's a great love poem between a man and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful book. Mm-hmm.
Man, there was a lot of good stuff in that episode. I was actually thinking halfway through, uh, we should get one of those, you know, those hotel be- bells, those ding, ding, like mm-hmm. a library or whatever. We can put it right here. That way when Pastor Matt says like something that people should be tweeting, we just ding, ding. ding. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Good <laughs> stuff. All right. Well, you can find um, all the stuff that we talked about on this episode on our show notes at debrief.show slash 61. You can uh, send your friends links to that if you want to share this episode with them. Uh, we'll have a bunch of the notes on there, references that uh, Pastor Matt has made, all of those at debrief.show slash 61. And for those of you guys who are supporting what we're doing here at Sandals Church, we are so grateful for you guys. If you want to be a part of that and help us uh, continue to uh, bring this vision of being real, create more places for people to be real, and uh, help people along on that journey, including do things like here, the Debrief Podcast, um, you can do that. We would love if you'd support the show. If you would text in Give Debrief to uh, Give Debrief to 951-941-20, even just a dollar per episode would be such a huge help. We are are super grateful for those of you guys who have been doing that. Man, you guys are so cool. It's Give Debrief, two words, to 951-900-4120. All right, let's close this show out. We got to review really quickly. I think, is this going to be some a little bit of a sexuality one, a little, a little bit of sex with Christianese. Yes. Mm. Let's do some sure learning. Sin. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. Okay, Pastor Matt, you actually used this term in the episode. Ooh, that's um, when we hit the ding, ding, ding. <laughs> what do Christians mean when they say stumble? Like, ooh, that almost made me stumble. Yeah, so, yeah. The... Uh, Christianity is defined by a walk. So, you know, Jesus invites us to walk with him. Uh, your walk is your relationship with God, your worship of God, your following of Jesus. So it's a journey that we start when we receive Christ into our hearts. So it's a walk. So when you stumble, you fell. So you're not walking with Jesus, you fell. So you damaged yourself, your relationship with Christ. Um, you, you didn't live out God's ideal for your life. And so um, that, that's what it means, stumble. Do either of you guys have anything funny or witty to say right at this moment so that we can leave people with a piece of humor? I have nothing. No, I'm sorry. <laughs>